Welcome to the Fiscal Fitness Podcast, where personal finance is about the person, not the numbers, and budget isn't a four-letter word anymore. Here is your co-host and certified professional financial coach, Kelsa Dickey. Hello, everyone, all of our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I am super excited for this episode because it's super normal that we talk about frugality and expenses and saving money and trimming expenses whenever possible, but it's not very often that we have an episode where we talk about ways that you can make more money. And that's what we're going to be doing today. I am really excited to have a guest with me today. Her name is Rachel Sodergren, and she has a little side hustle as a reseller. And if you are like me, when I first heard that, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what it involved. And so I'm going to have Rachel on so that she can tell us all about it. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Kelsa. Happy to be here. Thank you. Um, So you and I go way back, actually. So we met, I don't know how many years ago now, a few years ago. Yeah, probably two, three, something something like that. (laughs) And we met because we started the Choose a Phi Phoenix chapter together, right? Correct. So you started the group and I saw it and I joined and we were, it was me, you and a couple other people were the first members and we met for the very first time sitting around a table at Starbucks and talking about money and geeking out over personal finance for a little while with a total stranger. Yes. And I remember we were all so excited to meet other people who like to talk about this type of thing <laughs> because it's rare in our everyday lives. Yeah, exactly. And so that's where I met you. Tell everyone just a little bit about you. Um, So I am from the Phoenix area in Arizona. I grew up in the West Valley. Um, I'm married. I've been married going on 15 years. And I have one child, an 11-year-old son. I, I do have a nine to five job. I am a commercial insurance underwriter. So I've been doing that for a while now. And that's what I do Monday through Friday. <laughs> and what do you like to do for fun? For fun? Um, personally, I like to read. Mm-hmm. Um, side hustle that we're going to talk about is really my big hobby that I spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Uh, and then with my family, of course, we like to go out on walks and go to movies and just hang out together. Awesome. Yeah. And so I think it's great that what you're going to share with everybody is like what reselling is, how to do it, what that looks like for you, you know, how much money you make doing it. But really the point is that it is something you enjoy doing. It's a hobby of yours and you just so happen to make money doing it, which to me is like the best of both worlds, right? If somebody can start a side hustle and it's simply monetizing something they already enjoy doing, that to me is like the ultimate reward. Exactly. Because typically a hobby would cost you money, maybe. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> of course, right. there are very frugal hobbies that, you know, wouldn't cost, cost you anything. Um, but yeah, this one actually makes some money for me, which is nice. Yes. And so, I enjoy it. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the nitty gritty of what is reselling? Like, what does that mean? And how did you get into it? So reselling is basically buying items for a very low cost and then selling them for a higher price. Um, So I focus on women's clothing and shoes for the most part. Um, So it's basically like, if you think about flipping houses, you buy them inexpensively, you fix them up 
and then you sell them for a bunch more and you make profit. It's like that, but on a much smaller scale. So I may find something that costs me $2. I clean it up, make sure it's in good condition, take some nice pictures, and then I sell it online. And, you know, maybe I could sell it for 50 or, you know, depending on the item. But sure. Um, so it's making little bits of profit on a bunch of items. Yeah. And how did you get into doing that? How did that start? So it's funny. I started with some old comic books um, that my husband had laying around. Um, this was probably a year and a half ago. Um, and there's just a box of them. And I, I asked him, do you really want these? <laughs> He's still really into comic books, but these ones weren't worth much. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to sell them on eBay. So I did that, um, got rid of all of those comic books. And then I have a coworker who also does this and she's been doing it for at least five years. And I knew that she did it, but I had never really been interested. Um, so I talked with her and then I started learning about, you know, the clothing and the shoes and where I can find things and all of that. Got it. And I think, you know, the point I want to make is because I think we've all sold things that we have lying around our house, right? Like I have, I go in waves where I'm like, okay, we got to clean out the garage and oh, here's this stuff in here. And I could take some of it to Goodwill, but some of it I could probably sell on Craigslist or whatever. And then, but it's more of a short term thing. It's more project based. And so what we're talking about with reselling and the way you do it is more strategic and intentional, right? Like you are buying things, not it's not just stuff you have around your house. That's one way to do it. That's one way to start, which we'll talk about later, but you Mm -hmm. are going shopping with the intent of finding things that are lower priced than what you believe you can then resell them for. Definitely. So it's, um, in the reseller community, because turns out there's a whole world out there of (laughs) sellers. Um, it's called sourcing. So basically you're sourcing for inventory. So, you can go somewhere um, like Goodwill or Other Mothers, which is a thrift store we have here in Phoenix, um, Salvation Army, yard sales, estate sales. I've found things on Facebook Marketplace. So it's basically just, yes, I go to Goodwill and I tell myself, okay, I have an hour because sometimes I'll use my lunch break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's one right down the street from my office. You know, okay, I have an hour. I'm going to spend it looking for some stuff to sell. Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking for things for myself. I'm only looking for things I know will be a profitable flip, essentially. Yeah. And do you find like you, you enjoy shopping? So like before you did this, you probably would have, it wouldn't have been unusual for you to use your lunch hour, just want to get out of the office, want to go walk around and you would find yourself shopping. (laughs) Actually, no, I'm not much of a shopper, which is funny. That is funny to me. So you just kind of felt you've discovered that you enjoy shopping as you did this business. Yes. And I think it's because it's really like a game or it's like hunting. So it's finding that one good thing out of, you know, a rack of a hundred items that are not that great. (laughs) It's, it's exciting to, you know, to find the diamond in the rough. Um, and it's interesting too, because I am more on the frugal side and the minimalist side. So I really don't enjoy shopping for myself. Yeah. But I enjoy shopping when I know it's going to make me money. So Right. Right. But I, I but I imagine if someone already likes shopping, this would be um something they could transition into pretty easily. Yeah. And so when you decided, so you talked to your friend and you were like, "Okay, I want to maybe do this a little bit." You then you went to YouTube and started kind of digging into like how does this going to work or what do I need to learn? And 
I think you were sharing with me before that you first went to like research like brands and stuff. Cause it's not like you were a fashionista necessarily. Like I wouldn't know what brand. So you, you kind of right. had to do some learning yourself first. Tell me about that. Yes. So I personally just tend to wear staples and I just replace them when they wear out. So I'm not into brands. I'm not into, you know, the trends, anything like that. So um, with a combination of watching um, a few YouTubers who are resellers, um, combining that also with a couple of Facebook groups, um, there's a Poshmark thrifters group and an eBay thrifters group I'm a part of. And people share their hauls, which means what they got at you know, when they were sourcing today. And so you get to see pictures of all the labels and you get to learn the names of the brands and the styles. And so I've learned a ton from those resources. Got it. And you have graciously shared some of those um, in the show notes for this post. We will include links to some of your favorite resources and some of those videos and that kind of thing. So for anyone who's interested and didn't catch those specific names, don't worry. Um, we will provide those links. So tell me, give me kind of a summary of like a day in the life of Rachel, the reseller. So what's it kind of, how does it work? So on a normal day, um, it's funny. I took today off for this, this podcast, yeah, but then I had, you. you know, of course I scheduled other things, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you. um, so yeah, sure. So part of today was, um, I sold a couple pairs of shoes overnight. So I got those packaged up this morning and I'll be driving to the post office today. Okay. How much can I ask you since it's fresh? How much did you make on those shoes? Oh goodness. Um, one pair, I think I made, $15 and the other I made like $17. Still, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, right. cool. Okay. So you've they made sold for about $20 and I only paid a dollar or $2 each. Oh my God. I love it. That's awesome. Okay. Anyway, so you're already making money today. You're in the positive today. So, um, all right. So you shipped those out and then what else? So I'm going to drop those off at the post office on my way to go sourcing, to mm. source some Okay. And what's that going to look like? What's sourcing look like for you? Um, so today I'm going to go to, um, to a store, probably spend three to four hours there. It's a clothing and shoes store. Um, probably three to four hours of digging and, you know, going through things. And I may, you know, I may end up spending about $80 for 10 to 15 items. Okay. Something like so, that. So in the three to four hour thing, I think that's a little unusual. You normally you don't have a day off, right? Where you have four right. hour blocks. So typically you'll do it in an hour or two if you've got time to kill, like over lunch, like you said, or Saturday morning yeah. kind of thing. But for the most part, just today it's your day off. So might as well go make some money today, right? Exactly. I'm going to take advantage today. So typically it is on a lunch break from work. Okay. Um so you'll go so, today and spend about four hours. You might spend $80, let's say. But, and what are you looking for today? So right now, because fall just started, <laughs> I'm looking for boots, sweaters, jeans, um, those type of items. And this will be my second fall doing this. And so I've, I've learned because I've gone through, you know, all of the seasons now, I kind of know what to look for. Um, so right now, like chunky, oversized sweaters, jeans and boots are mostly what I'll look for. But if I find something else, um, that's off season, but I know it will still sell eventually for profit, I'll still pick it up. Sure. So, sure. 
Athletic wear always does well. Really so, like name brand athletic wear? Yeah, typically Lululemon, which I've never found. <laughs> I think that depends <laughs> what area you, that you're in um, and whether it's available. But Lululemon, I've had really good luck with Zella oh, um, athletic mm-hmm. wear and Lucy athletic wear. I'm trying to think what else. Some Nike and Under Armour here and there. Okay. Um, so that stuff is always good. It'll sell all year. Wow. Okay. So you buy it and then what happens next? Um, so I, I try to buy things that I don't have to put a ton of time into to get them cleaned up and ready for taking photographs. Mm -hmm. Um, but if something's worth it, I will clean it up. So for, yeah, give an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. So for example, I bought a pair of shoes a couple weeks ago for $3. Um, and the brand was dance go shoes, which are their comfort shoes. Um, a lot of teachers and doctors mm. and nurses like to wear them. Um, but I can pretty consistently flip them for about 40 to $50. Mm. So I did have to bring those home and use some leather conditioner on them just to clean them up. And, you know, I always clean the bottoms of the shoes because of mm. course they can be dirty, <laughs> Sure. but for the most part, you know, these shoes were in great condition. So, um, basically I cleaned things up. Uh, with clothing, like if you're buying uh, pre-owned sweaters, there might be pilling on the sweaters, which are like those little balls of material. So you can use a razor or a sweater shaver and take those off. Um, I typically don't buy things that I need to actually repair, you know, like if there's a, a rip or, you know, something too far gone, Mm -hmm. I won't pick it up. But, um, but there oh, are some me. resellers who will do that. Like maybe they're really gr- a good sewer or something. And so they, they're more willing to take that, those items. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. There yeah. are some people who are willing to put some more time into it and they have the skills for that. Um, and then with clothing, something that has really helped, I would say the first six months I did not have a clothes steamer, um, but I, I got one for Christmas <laughs> last mm-hmm. year. So that really helps take the wrinkles out of clothing and make it look more presentable for the photographs without me having to iron. I will tell you that after you and I prepped for this episode, we went and got a clothes steamer because I was like, why don't we have one of these? This makes total sense. There are so many times where I go to grab a shirt out of my closet and I'm like, Oh, it's wrinkly. So I put it back because I'm just not in the mood (laughs) to iron that day. So, and it has been amazing. It's just a little handheld one. I think it was like $18. It was so cheap. And it, I think mine was probably $30 on Amazon and it's wonderful. I use it to steam like my husband's work clothes now too, which I used to have to iron and it's so much better. I also learned something new while we we're talking today, which is that there's a sweater shaver. I did not even know that that's a thing that existed. <laughs> so I, I'm sure that I have taken a sweater to Goodwill or something because it's had those things on it. And I yes. did not know that there was a thing called a sweater shaver. Yes, because something can otherwise be in great condition, but it has all those little balls of fabric on there and it doesn't yeah. look great. So, so yeah, there are actual fabric shavers or sweater shavers. I mean, you can get them anywhere pretty much. I personally just use um, a little razor. Mm-hmm. Way, some people aren't comfortable with that. You have to have a steady hand <laughs> yeah. and be gentle. Um, so, but honestly, you can probably get a sweater shaver for like $15. Yeah. So yeah. You can save, you know, a wool sweater, like a merino wool sweater or a cashmere sweater or something that is worth money, then, you know, definitely you don't want to not 
buy that item when you can fix it up. Right. Exactly. So, all right. So you've prepped the item, you've cleaned it up, you've wiped it down, probably not a ton of repair, but you've done some. Um, what, what happens after you do that? So after I do that, um, I take photographs okay. of the item and on Poshmark, they, they have, they allow for eight photos of the item. And I believe mm. eBay allows for 12. Got it. Um, and I try to keep this as streamlined as possible. So I typically will just take eight pictures of the item and use those same eight on both platforms when I'm selling. Got it. Um, and for clothing, I've always just used a white door in my house as the background. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's a nice clean white background. And then I, I got um, one of those over-the-door hooks from the dollar store, like that you would hang a towel on. Yeah. And I use a hanger like a nice looking hanger, like a wood one or a krill, uh, sure. clear acrylic one. And I hang that um, over the door. And that's where I take most of my clothing pictures. Um, for items like jeans where they're really long, I tend to do what's called a flat lay photograph. And I, and I just use a, a white poster board from the dollar store. And I've had the same really? one for a year. I mean, I've looked, yeah. you gave me your links and I went and looked at some of your stuff and I, never, I could not tell that that was a poster board. Right. And I use it for shoes and jeans usually because those tend to be um, better to do flat on the ground. So in the first six months, I just used the sunlight from our office window, um, which meant I had to time it for the right time of day, Mm -hmm. which was annoying. Um, But it worked for a while. So if you don't have the money to invest into um, a lighting kit, which I just got it for my birthday, it was only $70, I think, on Amazon. So now I have a lighting kit, which is nice because I can do my pictures whenever I want to. It could be the middle of the night and I could do my pictures, but. Awesome. Yeah, that's wonderful. So you photograph it and then you use the photographs, you upload those to your listing and you list on Poshmark and eBay. And the same item goes on both or do you tend to know that like this is going to sell better on Poshmark so I put it on Poshmark and not on eBay or do you, does everything essentially go on both? Um, Almost everything goes on both. Okay. Um, Basically, I put everything on eBay, but then I have maybe 10 fewer items listed on Poshmark. And it may be because they're, um, like, it may be stuff that I'm selling for my mom where I know there's not, like, really an audience on Poshmark. Sure. Um, but I know, like, I know that certain brands will sell better on eBay. Got so, it. Okay. But for the most part, it's, like, 90%. I keep them well, it's just easier. You're just got a good rhythm going. Right. And so it's easier just to do both. So you've taken the pictures, you've created your listing, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, what, what happens next? You have a good efficiency tip at this point of what, what do you do with the stuff now that you've listed it? Sure. So one thing I should back up a little, when you're sourcing the items, um, you know, you can find something that's a good brand and good, good condition, but you should look up the comp which are the the comparables, like basically what has sold in the past on Poshmark mm. and or eBay. Um, and there are ways on each of those apps or websites to filter for yeah, what you just sold. filter by sold versus for sale. Exactly. And that way you okay. can see like, what is the market actually paying for this item? Um, so you should do that before you even buy the item. Good and call. Because you learn... <laughs> Yeah, I could see yeah. like maybe a year ago you sold it for a great profit, but since then it's now the most recent five have not sold for just about anything sort of thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that will happen. And you'll learn as you go, some things you may not have to research because you just know that mm-hmm. it's going to sell. 
So, um, you know, it's just that trial and error, but, um, so basically I would, I would do that research again after I've taken the photos, I would just make sure like, okay, what has this been selling for? I try to go towards the higher end of what it's been selling for. Um, you know, to leave a little bit of room for offers because on both sites, you can allow buyers to make offers. Um, and so I, you know, I price it around what the market is selling, not too low, not too high. I try to be kind of towards the middle, higher end. Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, and then sometimes I'll go to the actual brand's website. You can find information on the item online. Like if there's a specific style name, like I just sold some Sam Edelman shoes and the style name was Noah, you know, so Mm. things like that you would want to include in your listing title in case someone's looking for that specific item. Got it. So, um, so I basically just look up information like, you know, what is it made out of? Like, what's the material? Um, does it have a name keywords about the style? So, you know, like, is it a, is it, pair of sandals are they flats are they wedges are they heels things like that and um and really if you you can google things like women's shoe types or something you know and go to image and you can see all the different shapes and sizes you know types so you can learn those things as you go there's so much information online absolutely yes for sure good so in the listing um you were saying too that um, you're very clear on if there is something damaged or if there's a little mark on it, like you're very descriptive and you try to include pictures of all of that as well. Yes. Since most of what I sell is pre-owned, you know, there may be a couple nicks, scratches, marks, that type of thing. Um, But typically people are fine buying things like that as long as they're aware of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So anything that would be considered an imperfection or a flaw I include in the in the description of the item and I always include a picture Mm -hmm. so in my description you know say um say there's like a snag on a sweater I'd say um you know great pre-owned condition with one minor flaw which is a snag on the back of the sweater see the last photo I tend to put mine in the last spot like yeah, my photo plot. That way I can just say it's in the last photo. Go look yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it makes sense. And this is something I hadn't thought of, but you know, a woman with long hair that if there's a snag in the top of their sweater, like right by the collar, but they have long hair and they always wear their hair down, they might not care. Right. But if they've got a great sweater that they love and they've been looking for it, they love the brand, they know they like the fit. They, that just might not be a big deal to them. Exactly. And in fact, you will find when you're sourcing, you will inspect the item at the store and it looks great. And then you get home and you realize there's a tiny hole in it or something wrong with it. And that's when you decide, okay, is this worth trying to sell or do I just re-donate it? Mm -hmm. Um, So, and I've had things go, you know, both ways, but for example, I did sell a top one time that had two tiny holes in the back right near the collar. And it was probably from a price tag or something Mm -hmm. like that. And it sold. And Mm -hmm. it's probably that that situation you're talking about. Someone had long hair or maybe they always wear a cardigan or, you know, something. Sweater or a scarf or something. Right. So, um, yeah, as long as you put that on your listing, um, it should prevent any issues. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that someone won't try to, like, open a case or try to return it for that reason. But if you have it in your description and in the photos, usually eBay and Poshmark will um, side with you. Because you 
everything. You weren't trying to hide anything from the buyer. They just didn't read it thoroughly. Exactly. You need to read it and look at all the photos. Got it. Okay. So let's get back to the process that you follow. So the listing is done. You've got this item back from that you just took pictures of. So maybe like today you said there might be 10 to 15 things in this room in your house. And then what do you do (laughs) with them? How do you store them? All that kind of stuff. So, um, we have an extra bedroom in our house that we use as our office. Um, so it has a a bedroom closet in it with like two sliding doors. It's not a walk-in closet or anything like that. And I have only half of that closet dedicated to the business. Um, so I only have around, I think 60 items listed right now. And that's about my max because I run out of room to store things. I have a, a vertical shoe rack that sits on the, on a shelf in my, um, in my closet. And that's where I store the shoes, all of the clothing after I photograph it, I immediately put it into, I fold it nicely and put them into clear poly bags. They're basically like clear storage bags that you Mm -hmm. can get. Um, I like to get mine from eco and clothes because they're made from recycled plastic, but typically you can get somewhere like a hundred of them for $10, something like that. Um, and so I put my items into those bags and I store them vertically in storage cubes. Mm -hmm. I have four storage cubes and everything's just lined up in there. Um, and that way I don't have to worry about, you know, checking it for lint, you know, like doing the lint roller on it again or dusting it off or anything like that. When it sells, I can just grab the poly bag, seal it, put it in my shipping bag and it's good to go. I know it's ready. Yeah. And so it's, they're protected. It's ready for shipping, right? You just have to stick it in another bag. It's folded nicely. And it's you, the way you've got it filed is they're easier to find with 60 items, right? It could be, you know, a a disaster waiting to happen sort of thing. As far as like, it takes you an hour to find something (laughs) that you know is in there, but no, I mean, you've got a really good system of, of keeping everything straight. And somebody might not start with 60 items. They might start with a lot less, but I think it's good for them to hear these strategies because as they're growing, they can be putting that strategy in place versus sort of like figuring it out the hard way kind of thing. Right. And I would say when I had 20 or 30 items, I did not have the system. I did just have them stacked up somewhere. But yes, as you grow, you, it definitely helps to know about these things because I, I knew that people had inventory systems and storage, you know, systems for their items, but I, it just didn't feel necessary when I had 20 or 30 items. Now that I have 60 and sometimes I have 70, it definitely helps to just have a system, have it organized. And that way I don't end up with piles all over the office Yeah, (laughs) and my husband and son being annoyed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, and then, Payment comes is all handled through Poshmark or eBay, so you're not dealing with like the the actual customer in that sense. It's all exactly. handled through the websites, which is great. Yes, so Poshmark is really easy with payment because um, basically once your buyer gets their item, like you've shipped it to them, they have three days to accept the order, and that they basically click a button saying accept the order that it was in the condition that you presented it to be in. If they don't, and and as soon as that happens, as soon as they accept the order, Poshmark releases the money to you. And in your app, you have a section called my balance. And basically you just transfer that money to your bank account. 
Yeah. Um, if the if the buyer does not accept your order within those three days, then Poshmark automatically releases your money to you because they assume everything's okay. Um, eBay does involve PayPal for the, sure. the payment and money, so you would have to have a PayPal account for that. Um, so it's just one extra step. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, they handle it all behind the scenes, which is nice. So it sounds like the work or the effort in this business is coming from finding an item, possibly prepping or cleaning the item, and that can be their choice you know, on how much involved they want to get with that step, taking the pictures, storing it, listing it, and shipping it. So exactly. it sounds like a lot of steps, but I think you know, what, if you get into a rhythm with it, right, or you come home with 10 items and you just do 10 items in a sitting versus one item here, one item there, like that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I definitely tend to batch based on the process. So Mm -hmm. I will, you know, everything I bring home, um, if it's pre-owned, um, I will, I definitely wash it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let me put that out there. I wash it because you don't know what it's come into contact with. So I wash everything and then I steam all of it and then I photograph all of it and then I list all of it. So it's not like I'm taking one item, washing it, steaming it, photographing it and listing it and then going through that process again, I find batching it um, is more efficient because then I can, I can be done with steaming, but maybe I don't have time then to, to photograph until two days from now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we didn't talk about this last time, but I think, you know, my, a lot of our clients are always looking for ways to involve their teenage children in the business or things like that. And I think like those tasks that you just described are really easy to get a teenager involved in, right? So if they're wanting to help and if you're trying to like, you know, get them involved with entrepreneurship or something like that. Now I say easy in the sense that they should be able to complete those tasks. Easy to motivate them to do it is a whole nother ball game. But I mean, it is something where if you were to get them involved in that, it could teach them kind of small business ownership in a really small, easy to understand way, which is pretty cool. Definitely. And, you know, my son, he's 11. He's not interested in this stuff at all. He has his own entrepreneurial, you know, endeavors, but he does not care about my stuff at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are definitely like in the Poshmark thrifters group that I'm a part of, sometimes you'll see, you know, a parent, you know, put a post about like how their kid helped them, you know, mm get all the packages ready or that their teenage daughter is really interested and she wants to set up her own Poshmark closet, you know? So it definitely is, um, it definitely is good, you know, for people who want to, you know, start a small business, whether it's, you know, a teenager or someone who just wants something part-time. Yeah. So do you find yourself easily tempted when out shopping, like buying things for yourself or have you been able to stay fairly disciplined? Um, I've been pretty disciplined. Um, but again, it's because of the, the frugal and minimalist mindset that I've adopted over the past couple of years. I definitely wasn't always like that. I would say in my teens and my early 20s, I was more you know, into shopping and um, that type of thing. But I've really I've flipped a switch <laughs> the last couple of years, and I'm just not interested. So, you know... I may need something like, oh, I need to replace my black flats that I wear to work. Um, and I will definitely look at thrift stores first for mm-hmm. that. So if I come, so if I know in the back of my mind, I'm going to have to replace those soon, I will look for them while I'm outsourcing for the business. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And then if I can't find them, I will typically go on eBay or Poshmark and try to buy them from another seller because I figure I'm helping, you know, support most likely another seller, another small seller like myself. So I don't get too tempted, but I know that some people do. There are definitely people who get tempted and they want to keep things (laughs) for themselves when they know they're supposed to be selling it. So that is yeah, something, so it's to, be something to just be aware of. Right. Yes. Okay. And I do think going there with the mindset of like, I'm buying for others or I'm buying with like a specific purpose could help as well. Like you're what, you know, jumps at, out at you might be very different than what would jump out at you when you're shopping for yourself. Oh, for sure. And that's the thing is you have to remember it's a business. So yeah. if you, I think if you treat it like a business and treat every decision you make, as you know, is this going to help my business or hurt my business? Yeah. So you, you currently do this part-time and do you mind sharing what your average profit has been from doing this for a while? Sure. So I went over, um, my profit for the last, I want to say it's like a year, year and a half that I've been doing it. My average profit per month is about $150. So that's right. after my cost of goods, after, after shipping. You know, yes, after shipping, after my expenses of like shipping materials, that type of thing. So my actual profit is $150 per month. Got it. I mean, I think that that's amazing for doing something that is, you know, whether you do it this week and the next week, you don't get around to it. Like it's not, you know, you don't have anybody waiting for you necessarily. Exactly. Like it's a really <laughs> low pressure kind of enjoyable, like you said, hobby that you've turned into making $150 a month for you. Yes. It's nice because I can just work it into my daily life. It's not, um, you know, like, of course you could do things like, like Rover or Uber Eats, those types Mm -hmm. of things. But then I feel like, you know, you're putting a lot of miles on your car, say for Mm -hmm. Uber, Uber Eats. Um, or you're, you're having to be somewhere at a specific time to walk someone's dog, you know, those things, it's, it's definitely, there's more pressure in those. Um, and you know, per hour, I I've never kept track of how many hours I work per month doing this. I would say maybe 10 to 15 a month Mm -hmm. is probably what it averages out to. So it's not a ton of money. Um, you know, maybe 10 to $15 an hour is what it comes out to, but it's not taking me away from my family, which is nice because I do the sourcing usually during my work day. And then, um, when I'm doing my steaming and photographing and listing, I'm usually, you know, my son's usually right near me and he's usually on the computer doing his homework while I'm in the office doing my thing. So I can still help him with his homework while I'm doing that stuff. So it feels awesome. Very convenient. And, you know, so we talk about money and personal finance and stuff. So what do you guys, do you guys have a set, goal that you put that to? Is it just sort of like fluff money and fun money and free money? Or how do you treat the money that you're making? So it's definitely been a cushion for us. Mm-hmm. Um, lately, I don't have any set, you know, amount that I transfer to my personal account on a regular basis. You know, some people do this um, as a full-time job. Sure. And in that case, you probably would want to set up, you know, a certain amount that you are essentially paid Sure. You know, month or per week. Um, but really when I get to, you know, a few hundred dollars in my business account, I typically end up just transferring a hundred or two to mm-hmm. personal accounts. And I usually end up putting it in our savings account mm-hmm. or it's, um, 
sometimes I'll just say, you know what, I'm going to put $100 in my IRA today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and it doesn't have any other purpose at this point. Um, but it's really helped protect our emergency savings lately. Um, you know, because you, while we do have sinking funds for things like um, car maintenance and repairs or, um, you know, or like house repairs, it really hurts to have to dip into the emergency savings when there's something outside of what you have sinking funds for. So instead, you know, this money helps, helps protect our savings account, which has been really nice. Yeah. And I think the way you had kind of worded it when we talked the first time was that it has allowed you to not sweat the small stuff. And I, I love that because I I think you're right. Like it's a cushion and Hey, if we have it, let's save it. But if not, if something random comes up and we're able to just minimize the impact of that because of this money, then it just makes things like, you know, we're talking about less pressure, a little bit more flexibility and it's showing up financially too. So that's where that 150 a month, I think is giving you a lot of gifts, like intangible gifts. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's giving me some peace, some extra peace. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which I think is awesome. Um, so let's dive into the benefits of reselling. So we'll just kind of talk through these, summarize them pretty quickly. Okay. Um, so like you said, it's nice to have an extra cushion of money um, when you do have unexpected expenses come up. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it helps you... Personally, I like shopping at thrift stores when I need something, um, just from an environmental perspective, um, you know, it's, it's better to not have to, you know, get something brand new that, you know, that was produced and took a lot of resources. So I like thrifting. Um, it's also good from the frugal standpoint, you can usually get things for lower cost. So if you do this as a business, it helps you get comfortable in a thrift store. You know, I know that there are some people who maybe have not shopped in a thrift store I think it's gross or just not sure what to expect. And I think this would help someone get comfortable in there and realize, oh, it's actually pretty cool. (laughs) Well, and I would think too, like you probably know which thrift stores tend to have the best quality items or where in in the thrift store to go. Like I've heard that there's certain Mm -hmm. racks that tend to be named brand racks. And I'm just like, and I will admit I am the person, I, I don't feel uncomfortable by any means, it's just not my first inclination to think like, let's go thrifting to find this item that we're looking for. Does that make sense? Like, it's not my first go-to, but, um, you know, it, I don't know why not. Right. I mean, it it should be, and I see the stuff that you're selling and I'm like, this is adorable, you know, and I would totally (laughs) wear that. So, and I think it's just, you know, I think it's just part of our culture. I mean, I never thought to go thrifting first until the past couple of years when I got, you know, really on board with the financial independence movement and then also with minimalism and also with environmentalism. So this has definitely been a shift in my mindset. So I know it's not, you know, the typical, you know, mindset, but I think it is really, you know, interesting when you start going into these stores and you realize, wow. (laughs) Yeah. People get rid of some good stuff. Yeah. So what, what else? I think, um, you know, for somebody who loves to shop and finds themselves shopping as a hobby because they enjoy it or they're bored over their lunch hour, I think it gives a new purpose to it so that they can still enjoy the thing that brings them enjoyment. But instead of spending money doing it, it's now giving them a money-making way of doing it. 
Yes, that could definitely, you know, be a benefit for someone who does want to spend their extra time, you know, walking around shopping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like I said, they can just repurpose it to help make them money. And, you know, maybe they will find something for themselves every once in a while. Um, But yeah, I could definitely see that working out for someone who likes shopping. Um, And another good thing about reselling is it's pretty low risk. So you know, with any business, I think you make some mistakes in sure. definitely in the beginning. And I don't know. I've been perfect at my business, Rachel. I have no idea okay. what you're talking about. I have done everything right. I have not done anything stupid along the way that I think, what was I, I everyone thinking? <laughs> oh Lord. I, it is, make mistakes. it is a rite of passage. You will make mistakes in business. Yes. It is a rite of passage. Just get I, ready I, for it. Exactly. I think if you go into it, knowing that you mm. are going to have Pickups, you're going to make some mistakes. I think that will help so that you aren't thrown off the first time you make a mistake. Um, And the good thing with this type of business is the mistakes end up being pretty small. You know, you may lose $2, you may even lose $30 if you really mess something up, but is that really going to, that's not really going to affect your life in the grand scheme of things. And that's the nice thing is that, you know, the transactions are never so huge that it's going to make a big impact, you know, negative impact if you make a mistake. So sure, that's so that's true. And then you can yeah. just readjust when you, when you do make that mistake, you basically say, okay, I lost $10, but really I paid $10 to learn that lesson. Yeah. yeah and yeah. Then you can readjust going forward yeah. and you know, you just get better. Yeah. So. Reframe that for sure. Um, And then also like you do it part-time, but you've alluded to the fact that there's many people who do this full-time. So it really can be either one of those. So it can be whatever you need it to be in your life, depending on what other obligations you have or other commitments and that kind of thing. So I mean, definitely tons of benefits to doing this. Um, How does somebody get started reselling if they decide, hey, this is something I could totally do. Where do they start? So I would say start by selling your own items, things that you've been looking at that you're not using anymore, um, things that maybe you would try to sell at a yard sale, you know, try to sell those first. Um, That way you're not having to invest any money in buying the items. I will say I have never like gone into debt with this business. You know, a lot of times with businesses, you do need to make a big investment. You might have to put up a whole bunch of capital at the beginning and get a loan, that type of thing. You know, the whole spend money to make money thing. But with this, you don't have to put anything on a credit card. You don't have to, you know, get a loan to go buy the item. So I think if you start out small by selling your own items, and then once you run out of those, start sourcing really inexpensive inexpensively, you know, take that profit mm-hmm. and then go to, go to yard sales, go to Goodwill or Salvation Army on their 50% off days, you know, get things really inexpensively and just go slowly. And then that way, um, you're never, you know, putting yourself in a hole. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would start by selling your own stuff around the house. Got it. Um, and is it, um, do you recommend that people stick to like clothing and stuff or how do they decide what to sell? So I would say if someone already has an interest um, where, you know, they know about a certain product or item or, you know, hobby, they, they should, you know, maybe look into selling items around that hobby or interest that they already have because they already have that knowledge. Um, for me, 
the clothing and shoes just seemed to be, I guess the easiest for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't have a lot of specific knowledge on, on other things. (laughs) So I would say if you already have an interest in something, try that route. If it doesn't work out, there are plenty of clothes and shoes out there. Um, there are too many out there. There's plenty for everyone. So, you know, then you can try that out. Some people don't do clothes and shoes at all. So, so it could be like sports memorabilia or comic books. Like you said, like it could be that you go look around at comic books that are for sale. And if you find a good one, you can, that, you know, is worth something where I wouldn't know a darn thing about a comic book, but somebody else might. Exactly. Like my husband is into comic books. So he goes to the comic store almost every week to get the comic books for himself, but he also knows what's trending and what these books will be selling for on eBay yeah. Uh, the next week cool. or two because they're popular. So sometimes he'll buy two and he'll flip one. Got so, it. yeah. So, so things like that. So if you already know about something, try that route. And if not, you know, try out some other things. That's a yeah. good thing. You can just buy a couple things to try out a certain category. And like you're saying, this is pretty inexpensive. These are inexpensive items we're talking about. So $5 here, $8 there kind of thing. Okay. And you were saying that Poshmark is easier when you're first starting out than eBay. So people can try both, but if they're going for something that's easiest, just to try listing a few things, Poshmark is easier. Yes. Um, Poshmark is just the whole interface on their app or their website is easier to use. Um, they, like I said, the payment, there's no middleman there. Um, so you don't have to deal with PayPal, Okay. which you know, one less thing basically. Um, and also the shipping on Poshmark is very simple. Um, whereas on eBay, you know, typically you would go through the post office, which you do it all, you do it all online through eBay's website, but you have to weigh item and measure and figure out what shipping is going to cost before you list your item on Poshmark. As long as your sale is less than five pounds, you can put it in any box or shipping bag that you want to. And they email the shipping label to you. Got it. That's so, it, yeah, it so streamlined. Yeah. yeah. So it's much, it's much easier on Poshmark if you're new to this. Um, so, I will say that Poshmark is only um, like fashion, like men, women's and children's clothing and shoes. And sure, then sure. And homeware. They also have like home items. Oh, I didn't so, know that. So it's the new thing that they just mm. added. So. So there's a lot of stuff you can't sell on Poshmark that you can sell on eBay. So that may so depending on where, what interests them, it might that might determine where they go. So yes. very cool. So I want to do a quick rundown. I'm just going to list through some of the expenses that someone should expect if they go, want to go into reselling. So I'm just going to list these off. So the cost of goods sold, so the cost of the item, your average cost of goods sold per item, thank you for looking this up, is $3.31. So again... Yeah. That we're not talking huge dollar amounts, right? So you're buying some things for three bucks, maybe turning around and selling it for 20, right? Right. 25, whatever the case may be. So a lighting kit, which you don't necessarily need one right away, depending on the lighting in your house, that kind of thing. But um, at some point you might give you flexibility and when you photograph, right? So a lighting kit, clothing steamer, Again, maybe you already have one. Um, If you're selling clothing, it's definitely super helpful. A scale, and that was one of the things that you were like, uh, why didn't I buy the scale sooner sort of thing? Yes. <laughs> yeah. A shipping scale. I think you can get them for $20 or 
on Amazon. I got mine for, I think, $15 on Facebook Marketplace. You can mm. find a used one, most likely. Um, it's so funny. In the beginning, I would have my son stand on our bathroom scale, and then I would have him stand on the scale with the package. <laughs> I would do the math. Very scientific. Very scientific. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, there were never any issues. It was yeah, always yeah, accurate sure. and it worked, but oh man, did he get annoyed? <laughs> it was quite resourceful of you. I would say, Rachel, I'm really impressed. That was really smart. Um, okay. So packing supplies, which you talked about the bags, the, um, you know, if there's pa- packing, um, padding, needing shipping. So which typically the buyer will cover, but there could be a difference if you don't estimate properly. So you want to, you know, that might be one of those little snafus that at the beginning you make. And so you're, you're going to be out maybe something for shipping if you're not super accurate to start and then selling fees, which are the commissions that will come out when you sell something. So both Poshmark and eBay will take a percentage when you sell, but you don't have anything until you sell something. Right. And then it comes right out of like the money somebody pays you. Exactly. Well, yes. So with Poshmark, when, Immediately when you sell something, Poshmark takes their fee from that payment. eBay is a little bit different. Um, eBay sends you all the money, like to your PayPal, and then PayPal takes a small fee too. So, um, you know, there's that that you have to take into consideration. But then eBay, on a monthly basis, they charge you for your selling fees, which is that final value fee based on the total of the orders that you had over the month. Um, Got it. So it's a little bit delayed with eBay. If you want less, you know, basically transactions and things to keep track of, Poshmark is much easier. Yeah. Um, and I do have a spreadsheet set up where I, you know, I can just plug the numbers in, like how much the item sold for, how much the shipping was, and it calculates and takes out all those fees for me. And you can find examples of those online. Oh, sure. um, yeah. Yeah. It makes it easier, but it's yes. something to be aware of because if you're like, Oh my God, I just made a hundred dollars, but you're forgetting to account for something that might come out later. So it's good to know. Right. It, it, it does sound like Poshmark has found a streamlined approach for, I mean, eBay, if you remember was revolutionary at one point, it was like, eBay oh, yes. was like so big and everyone was talking about it. Um, and it sounds like they've got a, a bit more complex pr- approach that they use, but it's working. Right. So it's not to say it's wrong. So, yeah. And who knows, they might change things, you know, now that they have competition out there, you never know. Right. right. <laughs> what are some of the best practices that you'd like to share with somebody who wants to, to take on this endeavor? So, um, some of them are things that we've already talked about, but after you prep the item and get it ready for, you know, photographs or after you've taken the pictures, I would say store it as close to the condition that you're going to ship it in as possible it makes it much easier after you've sold the item and it keeps it in that, um, you know, that good condition while it's being stored. Um, so with clothing, you know, put it in the clear poly bag right away and store it. Perfect. Um, that's been very helpful. And then like we said earlier, when you're doing your listings, disclose everything, you know, provide a good description. If there are any flaws, definitely put those in there. It mm-hmm. won't keep people from buying. Um, so that will prevent issues on the back end for sure. Good. Um, and then we are a smoke free home. So I always share that in all of my listings for clothes and shoes. Um, I always say from a smoke free environment because, and if you're pet free, say that too, right. Animal free, pet free kind of thing. And, and I think the way of saying it, if you have an animal is pet friendly home or something like, what is that? 
Okay. Yes, that is how people do it. So mm-hmm. that way people know, you know, if they do have an allergy to dogs or, you know, yeah, they're really sensitive to cigarette smoke or something like that. That way they know where it's coming from. Um, and then also, this is something I have not run into, but I've heard this from other people. Basically, when you're at thrift stores and yard sales and estate sales, don't advertise, <clears throat> excuse me, don't advertise that you're a reseller you know, don't, don't make it obvious that you're buying these things to resell. Um, now I'll go into a store and I'll buy 10 things. They're all in different sizes. They're all, (laughs) you know, it's obvious that they aren't for me, but I've never had anyone say anything or say, Oh, wow, you're buying a lot, or this isn't your size, you know? So most likely you will not run into that problem, but I also don't go up there and say, wow, I'm going to make so much money selling this stuff. <laughs> and, and is there this general, um, I don't know, disgruntled viewpoint that what you're doing is wrong, but is that why you don't want to advertise it? Um, I would say some people have that outlook, but then okay. other people don't like, I think it just really depends on the individuals working where you're sourcing these items. Some of them have a negative viewpoint of all these resellers, you know, they come in and, you know, they buy the stuff cheap and then they turn around and sell it, which is kind of funny when you're buying from a place where everything is donated to them. And then they're turning around and selling it. Yes. And they set their price. I'm paying the price that they are asking for. Right. You're not like negotiating with them or trying to nickel and dime them or gouge them in any way. Right. But then sometimes, you know, I've heard that, that if you, um, you know, build a rapport with someone, you know, maybe not at like a Goodwill or Salvation Army, Army but like a private um, like consignment place or something. Yeah. Or a consignment store. Sometimes you can make connections where, you know, they know what you're looking for and you can, you know, make a deal for like mm-hmm. bulk purchases and that type of thing. So yeah. um, I just, you know, I go in there and I buy what I'm going to buy mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I don't think it's obvious to anyone that I'm a reseller. And I, and I think if anyone did ever ask me like, Oh, wow, you got a lot of stuff. I would probably say something like, Oh, well, I buy for a lot of people. And I would just yeah. leave that. <laughs> Which is a hundred percent true. You're not outside your integrity, right? You are buying for a lot of different people. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um, I, I think this has been incredible. I can think about so many people who love to shop and, you know, they're the people that are like always able to find a good deal. Right. And they're always yeah. like, they walk out of a store and you're like, how did you get that for that price? And they could be doing it, you know, taking that skill and using it in a business and reselling items and just being a bit more strategic and just a bit more intentional about it. And I did not know that this was a thing. Like this wasn't really on my radar as far as how widespread I would say it is and how good you can become at it, how systematic and just that you can make decent money even as a side hustle, right? Like I just think it's really, and for like, like we were saying for low risk, that's what I mean. There's a lot of money-making opportunities out there, but they require a huge financial investment. And that, that always turns me off a little bit. And so I think that the fact that this can be done in a low way, low cost way, I mean, I just think it's brilliant. So thank you for um, taking the time to explain this to us and to educate us on us sure on it and sharing some mistakes to avoid and some best practices. Um, I know that you have graciously provided us with a few of your favorite and free resources, such as YouTube video, Facebook community of resellers. 
um, so that anybody who wants to can continue learning more about this and all of the places where you're gaining the most from as well, right? From a um, yes. knowledge standpoint. There are plenty of others out there that I don't even know about. So I would say if you have a question or you're wondering about something, just Google it. You'll find, you'll find the information somewhere. <laughs> yes. Um, and we will definitely provide those links in the show notes. So be sure to check out the show notes at fiscalfitnessphx.com. We'll also provide a link to Rachel's Poshmark listing. So you can see how she has things set up and see how she describes items, how, what her pictures look like see what items she sold and even begin your own research. Rachel, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much, Kelsa. It was fun. For those of you who loved this episode, I hope you will take a few minutes to share it with somebody who you think will find it just as valuable as you are. Like I said, if you've got that person in mind that you think they're great at shopping, they're great at finding good deals, maybe they could take it a step further and they just need this episode to help them. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love to ask you for a review uh, wherever you may be listening. Thank you so much. If you would like more information about how we can help you take the stress out of money with one-on-one financial coaching, please check out our website, www.fiscalfitnessphx.com. And please join our private Facebook group by going to facebook.com groups slash fiscal fitness money. And if you have a passion for personal finance and are interested in helping others take the stress out of money by becoming a financial coach, check out our financial coach training program at www.financialcoachacademy.com. And join our free Facebook group by searching Facebook for Financial Coaches Unite. We'll see you on the next episode of the Fiscal Fitness Podcast, where we'll help the world take the stress out of money.